House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. Oh, welcome back into the House of Mystery, and I'm Al Warren. Who else would I be? Now, on the other side of the country, we've got the Boston... Boston, Mr. Martino. Yeah. <laughs> I, I wasn't sure what I was going to call you today. You know, I was yeah, like, yeah. It's been a long week, so I was thinking of calling you something good or something bad. Yeah, I was going to call you bad, but then I realized how much work you've done this week, so I shouldn't be oh, bad. I gotta be nice. That's true. Right. Yeah. You've been Stop being me now. Yeah. Just, <laughs> yeah, I need some more hate mail on that. It's down yes. to about five a week. So Just five? Oh, that's yeah, not bad. Probably, they're, they're not really, I guess they think I'm being nice to you now. So. Oh. Like I said, you gotta change week. that. No, next week it's that the whips are coming out. Speaking <laughs> of whips, now Arnold Schwarzenegger. Did you have you seen that poster that's been flying all over the place? I have not. It's him dressed up as Zeus. <laughs> no, is that from from the old? No, it's a brand or, new one. No? It's all. It looks really. Um, really, I mean, it looks like it's done really well, and it says coming out coming in February. I want to see him as King Conan. What's going on with the Zeus thing? I, I have no idea. There's all sorts of speculation. This is what these guys are doing. So is this? Is this? Do you think it's a um, a movie that's coming out? Surprise movie? Maybe. Or do you maybe. think this is something to do with Super Bowl? Oh, could be. Could I, I be mean, some sort of a, a yeah a superhero movie. Maybe he's getting married again. Oh, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> How many times is that been? No. I don't know. I just you know. Uh, but Maria Shriver had her house really close to mine, so I was huh. I was pretty lucky. I never saw her. Um, <laughs> you didn't go over for tea? No, they wouldn't invite no. me. Come on, you no. don't want to look at me. Why like not? Her. No, no, it's just not. I don't fit that. I'm not in with the in crowd. <laughs> you know, come on. Um, now speaking of not in with the in crowd. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we have a, uh, an interesting guest. I, I was very uh, attracted to this man. He's actually very, very handsome, but his picture on the um, on what he does is a for his author page and all that sort of stuff is not so much. It's a little bit more. Um, I don't know how. I don't want to say any words because I'm not sure how I picture it, but it definitely fits writing horror or writing that kind of darker side of life. So uh, let's welcome. Uh, Damon Manx to the show. Thank you. Thank you. It's, it's good. <laughs> Thanks for having me. What, <laughs> what an what introduction. An introduction. <laughs> How do I even come in to that? But, yeah. Thank well, you don't. <laughs> just say how you feel. That's how it is. No, I, I, and I mean that in a nice way. I think that I think it's awesome because uh, uh, the few times I've seen you in real life, like playing bass, I saw you once, you're, you're actually a nice-looking man. Okay, and that's coming from a man that likes men. So I think that that's great. But you you actually take your picture and you make yourself look maybe like I, I want to dark is a good word. I don't maybe evil, but you kind of your image for the for Damon Manx is kind of dark, and I think that's good um, because a lot of you could just rely on your looks. I think normally. Um, well, well, you know what? I mean, that's interesting that you say that because I have recently gotten some hate uh, hate press about um, trying too hard to look ominous. And it's not I'm kind of a really big fan of the old school horror genre, you know, the Alfred Hitchcock, the Twilight Zone, these classic movies that inspired me. So when I thought about what I wanted my author picture to look like. I wanted it to resemble that. I wanted it to be dark. I wanted it to be Hitchcocky and Poe-like. Um, and if in that case I'm trying too hard, then maybe I'm trying too hard. But, you know, I, I think that um, the horror genre has a image, you know. I think it has a look, you know. Just like if you want to be a rock star, you, you should dress like a rock star. Um, if you want to be a gothic horror writer, you know, Give us a little something more. Uh, I I just think that I don't think the genre or that trait should be limited to the icons in the business. You know, I don't see Steve, Steve, Stephen King looks creepy enough on his own without having to pack <laughs> that way. But I, you know, I I really I had this image in mind for what I wanted my author pick to be. 
And it's really interesting because I, I'm a big fan of don't judge a book by its cover because uh, if you were to read any of the stories that I write, they're not that. Um, I'm all about juxtaposition. So I don't see the issue in this, personally. I look at this and I think it fits what you're doing. I, I, so to someone to point out that it's being desperate, you know, because you're trying to look a certain look, but that's kind of what people do. It's an imaging. Um, you, you know, Damon Manx is a horror person, horror writer, so there's nothing wrong with having this whole image and whole thing surround you. I think that's fine. I think that's great because then you have your own personal life and own thing going on and you don't look like that. I, I don't see what the problem is. I really don't. I don't either. And, you know, I mean, I got a lot, I got so much support from the community, especially after I, I kind of put a magnifying glass on the fact that somebody said something about it, which, which is what I do. I, I magnify my own issues as well as everybody else's. So if you're like a friend of mine, I apologize right away for uh, doing that. But um, that's what we do as writers. You know, we, we bring a magnifying glass to, depressing issues that are in the world and on ourselves and and i don't see a problem with it either i i am a different person than than damon manx i am i although at the same time i am damon manx um if that makes sense you know and and i think you did you described it pretty good and i think it makes sense to me yeah you know and 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 it, it, it... If they have a problem with it, it's it's the same old thing. I'm getting I'm really tired of this idea that someone looks at something. You know, if I look at a movie or if I look at a book or listen to a show, if I don't like what's going on, I turn it. I I go to something else. If I looked at your book and I thought, well, you know, I don't this guy's I don't like this image, I don't like eh, whatever, you move on. Like what why do I have to tear you apart? Like what so I, I think that's something within the person themselves. So when, when they're taking the time to say something like calling you desperate, um, then I think that's their own issue. Absolutely. I mean, if, if I have a problem with something that, that someone else is doing, usually it's because it's reflecting something that I have a problem with in myself. So, you know, gen I don't know. There, there yeah. seems to be a, yeah. a, a focus on, taking away or putting down other people in our society, you know, where I think, you know, which is great in the horror community because it's usually the opposite of that. Like you would, I can't believe how generous and supportive the indie horror community is like so uplifting, so supportive and behind you, like people will rally, rally at your side to um, champion your, uh, your successes and build you up when you're down. It's it's amazing. Another thing I noticed, um, you know, we might as well get the rough stuff out. There. <laughs> um, well, you've you've got the godless um, deal here going on, and 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 um, we here at the House of Mystery are praying you find Jesus. No, just <laughs> <laughs> man, you're just hitting hitting all the nails well, today, aren't you? Wow, I. I want to get no into all idea the crux. what I signed on for, but uh, wow, yeah, that's definitely great. <laughs> well, no, but I think I, you know because I, I'm I'm so, you know, listen, if the country's supposed to be based on freedom completely, so if you want to be religious, go for it. Just like if you don't want to be, then go for it. That's what freedom is. It's just accepting others for who they are. So if you want to have a, a press or belong to a press called Godless, and you're, you're trying to publish and put books out, I don't understand why they get so upset enough to come after you again. Because I, I, this is not about um, a satanic group or anything like that. No, and no it definitely isn't. And, um, you know, the owners of the company would, would totally, totally be able to explain it, even probably better than I would, but the platform has nothing to do with any of that. The Godless platform is more so about giving power back to the indie authors so that we don't have to rely on huge uh, platforms like Amazon to sell our books. Now, by, you know, taking that kind of power away from large entities, we're, we're able to keep more of our royalties. And, you know, I mean, 
it, it has nothing to do with religion. I have, you know, despite what whatever people may have said, or or I, I don't bring my religious, my political views into any arena. And if somebody, you know, claims, you know, tells me, oh, I hope you find Jesus, I, I get just a bit offended because now you're claiming to know what my views are, just as I don't claim what my sexuality is or, or you know, I might tell you what I had for breakfast, but I probably would be lying about it, you know. Um, so, <laughs> you know, I, I just don't, that's not relevant. If you want it to be relevant, that's fine. There's plenty of people who will gladly give your their opinion about what their political, their religious, their sexual views, and their affiliations are. I'm just not going to do it. Um, and if I do it, it might be in a fictional book, and, and you might not know if I'm telling the truth or not. So uh, so how's that for a little house of mystery? Huh? So. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm curious, you know, uh, you're active in the, you know, you said you're active in the indie horror community. And I know I found the horror community uh, back in, there was this old message board called uh, Shock Lines. And uh, th that's kind of how I found, like, the, the old writers from uh, the 80s who were hanging out there and stuff. But how did you find yourself in the indie horror community? How did you get involved? Mm, wow. How do, I, how do I even start that without uh... – so my, my resources were very limited for a long time, and I think we might get into that. Um, depending where the conversation goes. So my resources were very limited. Um, and finally, when I was able to come out to um, the masses with the, the products that I felt were ready to submit into the publishing world, it was a matter of getting on sites like Facebook or Instagram um, and even sites like Duotrope where you can find the resources, which magazines are accepting publications. Right. So essentially, you know, without that social media, um, you're very limited as to what you can do as an indie author. So that path led me to the various groups, books of horror, horror oasis, uh, horror writers association, the horror guilds. Um, so, that's was the natural flow like that's the direction you take and uh, the the groups on facebook is actually where you're going to find your most support which is what i found and you know where it's a it's a grassroots movement always but you know that's where an author can start to gain traction and actually become a part of uh, a community get to know the other authors get to know the people reading the books and and find out what's going on you know that it's just the natural course of action. I mean, you know, unless you've got the means to go traditional publishing route, traditional agent, which we could talk about um, down the road, too. But, uh, you know, for those of us who maybe are doing that in another capacity or not doing that yet, this is the resources we have and this is the way to do it. So that's uh, I, I found it. A friend of mine recommended a couple groups. I saw what ones worked. Saw what ones didn't, and uh, it's still a trial and error. So you know, I'm still looking for my lane, and uh, that lane's probably going to change too. So, so let's talk about that. Let's talk about um, where it comes from for you. Um, you're writing horror. You're you know supernatural, suspense, all, all of those feelings involved in these books. Um, so let's talk about how it started for you. You know, initially, this started, of course, as it does for most of us when I was a young boy. And the first time I saw a horror movie, um, I remember seeing and reading Something Wicked This Way Comes by Ray Bradbury and being blown away by the book. There's, there's perfect sentences which lead to perfect paragraphs, which in turn lead to perfect pages and chapters. And... Um, I've seen what his original draft was, which is that that book was rewritten and edited and then rewritten and so many times till, you know, he just came out with that perfect story. And what it what it is for me, it's it's that sense of Halloween as a child um, that 
I'm sure we all have had, you know, where it's the awe, it's the mystery, it's the, oh my God, the leaves are turning, the, the wind is getting cold, the, uh, the jack-o'-lanterns on the porches, what's lurking around the corner in the dark. Like, that's the sense that I got from that book. And then it was later when I was finally old enough to see movies like Night of the Living Dead, where I'm like, okay, I, I think I found my home. I'm a, I'm a weirdo, and this is where I belong in, in this kind of a path. So it was initially the books and the, the genre and the movies. And, and then I dove into Stephen King and it was, it was thinner that I read um, by Bachman as his alter ego. And, and then it was the stand and wow, like, uh, like, wow, you know, I, the stand is epic. The stand is encompassing. I think it's one of the few books I've read probably more than five times. So that's where it starts. I think that was your question. Where did it start? So, mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, at least you didn't say out of, out of your mom and dad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I always like I mean, I get that. mother for making me possible. But, you know. Yeah. Well, I like to think. Um, okay. But um, so so this is coming along. But um, so you've had some a, a little bit of a rougher time in your um, life after that, after being a child. And that sort of... Um, put you, uh, I guess you're incarcerated, as you said. Um, let's, let's talk about that experience for you and how you uh, honed your writing and how you kind of got, uh, I guess, I'd, I'm, let's say you found yourself in your writing in prison. Yeah, that's right. Um, and actually, you know, it was a little darker prior to prison. I mean, you know, if I were to say prison was my darkest days, I'd be lying because um, it was actually uh, a very long uh, course of time that uh, being addicted, which started with opiates and, and turned into uh, a really nasty heroin addiction. And um, I chased that for for far too long and lost everything. I, I say I lost everything, but the truth is, is I, I gave it away piece by piece. <laughs> like I gave it away, I hocked it and, you know, I, I sold it for pennies on the dollar. And that, that led to a pretty extended... Um, prison sentence. So I, I found myself in, in county jail, uh, desperate, alone. Uh, family did not want anything to do with me at that point. Friends um, were done with me because I had begged, borrowed, and stolen everything I could at that point to feed my addiction. Um, so I, I was pretty much alone, except for the men in, that I was meeting in, in in that setting. And it was that point where my bunkies said to me, he goes, you know, you've got a hell of a story, man. He goes, I feel like you could write a book. And it was like the lights went on. You know, I had tried to write things as a, as a kid. And I remember trying to write a, a sequel to Jaws before part two had come out when I was a child. And, um, so the bug it always was it better? <laughs> was it, <laughs> was it better than it that? It wasn't movie? worse. I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> oh that's good um it wasn't worse but so the, it was always there but i had never done anything about it and then i started writing my story in the county jail and, and the incarceration process is a process you go from the county jail to where you either go to trial or you accept a plea deal and then you go to state prison and then i i was moved to state prison um fairly dark, uh, rough place. And I really got into the writing. I started taking college classes, uh, got my associate's degree, went on to get my uh, work towards my bachelor's. I never got it. But uh, I began writing and writing and I got into the horror genre. And that's actually where I wrote Abigail, the first draft, which was my first release when I got out. And that's where I wrote piece by piece. So I was really inspired to transform the pain I was feeling into something positive. Because if anybody who's read my books, they're, you, they're not generally your typical horror story. 
And I'll just say that. They're, they're definitely not typical. I, I, at this point, I had gotten clean. Like, I'm nine years sober this year, free from active recovery, uh, free from active addiction, and still, you know, in recovery doing that. And, and life is really good now. I think by honing my skill in prison, learning as much as I could and spending that time to draft and redraft and spent a lot of time reading, um, it, it helped me to, to be a better me, actually, in many ways, not only in, as a writer, but, you know, as a, somebody who apologizes when he's wrong or somebody who tries to make up for, you know, hurting you in the past or, you know, so it's, it, it was a healing process and, and it still is, but, uh, Wow, I didn't know we were going to go there. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> yeah. No, but I think this is good. I think we all have this, and it's whether or not we want to admit it, whether we want to talk about it. But uh, being honest is, is the best thing, and talking about it because it, it brings you out, moves you further along. Uh, it, I think when we realize things and then we're able to discuss it or talk about it, it... Um, it, we understand why we do things better, and we understand how we put together things, like let's say in your case, books. So the stories make more sense to you after you realize where it comes from. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, even with my my first release, it, it's called Abigail, um, and the protagonist of our story is a gay man who finds a baby on his doorstep and that baby happens to be very different than anything he's ever seen in his life. And ultimately, you know, Abigail touches on acceptance of others, acceptance of different races, acceptance of other people's sexuality. So, you know, when I say it's not your typical horror story, I'm kind of, you know, it, it really isn't, you know, um, and, and the ending is, is something that would really surprise you. I, I, you're not going to see the twist coming. So This has all um, been kind of good for you in a way? Y yeah. Well, that's putting it mildly. Um, you know, that path that I was on, that, that was either going to kill me, you know, or it was going to – I don't even want to imagine the alternative. Um, so essentially, you know, I say to people, I wasn't sentenced, I was saved, you know, and that's not even in a, a, any, I was saved, I would have been dead, I would have been another opioid statistic that you read about who they found dead somewhere uh, in my, under a bridge in my car or wherever I was at that time. So I was, it was forced sobriety, it was a, a gravitation towards education and then a, a natural desire to do better than where I had been. So, yeah, it was a miracle. Um, I'm, I'm living proof of a miracle. And, and I had a game plan. I said, when I get out of prison, I'm going to, because at that time, everything I had was handwritten in these little notebooks. So everything had to be transferred into a laptop onto a uh, Word doc. So I said, I'm going to spend the time doing that. I'm going to edit I'm going to submit to magazines, and I'm going to get published that first year. And and I accomplish everything that I said I was going to do within that first six months. And six months after I had started um, all of that, after I was released, Abigail was accepted by a publishing company, and it was released. And, uh, and I was also placed in magazines in the U.S., and in the UK, and and things have just gotten better ever since. So, like, life is great now. I mean, sure, yeah, on a day-to-day, -day, we can say, yeah, life, life sucks, you know, or, or I, I hate uh, having to stay home, and or I hate having whatever it is. You know, we all got little things that piss us off on a day-to-day -day basis. But you know what? I'm not stuck in a six by eight cell with another man listening to the toilet flush and I'm not addicted to heroin and I'm 
I am just so grateful to be where I am right now. And and here I have made this into almost a preaching session, haven't I? <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I don't know if you're... Oh, yeah. there you go. Well, let's, uh, you know, so, well, but, you know, there's yeah. also I well, do fun things, too. I'm not just always this... There's ominous dark guy. Yeah, yeah, you go out and kill people and all that. Just on Friday. Um, just on Friday, that's the best time, right, you know? Um, well, I wonder, too, so after you've written Abigail and now you've got piece by piece, um, does it change you after you've written each book? Oh, wow, that's that's a really good question. Does it change me? I don't know if it changes me, but... You know, after I had written Abigail, I'm now thinking about marginalization a whole lot more. Like, because Abigail was actually inspired by watching certain individuals in the prison system who were technically marginalized by their place in society being unaccepting of other people who are also just as marginalized. So, I don't know if I'm making sense, but, you know, if you come from a spot and people had already made fun of you for something and then you go ahead and make fun of somebody else for something that's different, I I think that's really, really insane. And so essentially that was my inspiration for it. And after having written Abigail, that's always on my mind. So if, you know, you're making, making a point or you have a message, I think if that message isn't sitting and resonating with the author well after he's written it, then, you know, you kind of fail writing the book, too, because it's supposed, you know, we're supposed to leave a little something in the audience, and if it doesn't leave anything in you. So, so yeah, it changed, changes me, sure. Well, in the same vein, you know, it, it sounds like uh, writing to you is somewhat of a catharsis, and... Um, but I was wondering if, if writing horror itself, uh, you know, affects you, writing darker uh, aspects within the book. And you were talking about, you know, doing fun things, too. Do you uh, do anything to relax or recharge between books or, or chapters, or do you just move on to the next thing? I, I've always been a musician, so I've always played guitar and I've always played bass. Um, and I actually, like, I, I wanted to be the rock star before I wanted to be the author so you know my youthful mm. days i i chase that dream but still you know today these days uh if i'm a little burnt out I, i'm gonna pick up the bass or i'm gonna pick up the guitar and and blow off a little steam and and clunk through a couple tunes or something you know i'll do that i'll, I'll read i i used to meditate and i know i probably should but uh, i haven't done that in a while so, you know, in prison, we, we work out a lot, and uh, that's always good. You know, exercise is really good to blow off steam and recharge. But but my, my the stories that I have out right now aren't the darkest of stories. There's, there's usually something uplifting in them somewhat. And, uh, you know, I've been called... Uh, the author who's got horror with a heart by a, by a, one of my friends on Facebook. And, and that's true for some of them, but I do have some, some dark pieces coming out in the future. And uh, yeah, I don't know. You know, I mean, it, I dream this stuff at night. You know, I think about new stories while I'm sleeping and, and wake up and write down those ideas. Mm. So I think, yeah, at the end of the day, it, it's affected me some being consumed by that kind of story. But I also write nonfiction and I write some humorous stuff too. So, you know, I, I'm, I am a juxtaposition at times. So Now, now your book, Piece by Piece, the, the recent one that you put out, um, of course you've got like a, a Ouija-esque sort of um, cover and idea behind it and even in the story. What is your relationship with Ouija? All right, so uh, Piece by Piece is actually uh, inspired by true events that happened to me when I was about 10 years old. And the way the story starts out is uh, young Bobby Canfield is riding his bicycle home, and the sun is setting, um, and he needs to be in before dark. And as he's approaching his house, the neighborhood girls across the street are running around in their yard, and they just happen to have a Ouija board with them. 
and they sit down and open up the Ouija board and they invite Bobby to come over and sit with them and they start asking questions and the questions get a little darker and they a presence named Mac introduces them uh introduces himself to Bobby the girls are like well Mac is our grandfather we talk to him all the time and Mac has a very important message for you Bobby and they ask Mac um what year Bobby is going to die and they Mac reveals that Bobby's going to die in the year 2022 now the story right there at that point is taking place in 1989 um so Bobby learns that when he's 44 years old he's gonna die and now the rest of the story is kind of like Bobby living his life it's a supernatural coming of age he tries to put that out of his head but he really can't uh, until he's no longer able to, till he realizes that Max's message was absolutely true. He's absolutely going to die when he's 44. And before he does, he has to save someone, but he has no idea who. Now, to relate that to where I am at, when I was 10 years old, I was coming home, and I had to begin from before dark, and I looked across the street, and my three neighborhood girls were out there running around in their bathrobes, and they had a Ouija board. And they called me over. And the questions started getting darker. And they asked when, when I was going to die. And the Ouija board went to the number four zero. And they're like, oh, my God. And, you know, I'm 10 years old at the time, so I didn't know what that meant. I'm like, what? They're like, 40 is really young to die. And I never got that out of my head. Those bitches. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I never got it out of my head. Needless to say, I didn't die at 40. Um, I, I've no. gone on for years and years and years. Uh, but once again, those bitches, like, how could they do that to a 10-year-old boy? I see them still today because they still live across the street from me. And, and I reminded the one the other day. I go, Fiona, you remember when you did it? And he even she said, she goes, oh, my God, we were a bunch of bitches. So, yeah. So, but. I was going to say you have to hunt well, them down. Well, they're, they're just, <laughs> you they're know just where so they cute. You know, but, um, yeah. they're, I don't know. No harm was meant, although it did kind of weigh with me. And a great story came out of it. So, yeah. Hmm. Uh, you know, but when you, okay, so when you share yourself um, with the public, like it, it, it's one thing telling friends and it's one thing family or people you're, you're, you know, partnered with or whatever, that's one thing. But when you actually write it down in a book and you're sharing something very personal to you, something that stayed with you ever since it happened, since you were 10, um, does that feel, make you feel a little bit vulnerable at times? You know, actually, when I wrote the final scene of Piece by Piece, I was in tears. Um, and what is so fulfilling now is I've had men and women come up to me and say, yo, I just read your story, and I was bawling my eyes out when I got to the very end there. And to me, that's just like in knowing that any vulnerability that I had or, or fear of putting myself out there has been, it's, it's so rewarding, you know, because that's what I want as an author. I, I want to touch people in good ways and, and affect them emotionally. And that's, that's, that's all I could ask for, you know, so it, it's been great. So they knew, they knew those bits. Too. <laughs> <laughs> they don't want to tell you, look, I knew these things, I'll tell you. You know, yeah, they probably yeah. had some very similar bitches living right next to them just as well. <laughs> I'll tell you, that's that kind of, we're having a lot of bitch talk <laughs> here today. <laughs> you know, but that's, um, it's, it's interesting. That's sort of why I was talking about after you've written a book that changes you, because there, it's kind of, uh, to me, I think it's an experience going through a book process, like when you're actually putting down the words and writing it and, editing and changing and thinking about it and doing this stuff. And like you said, you were crying at the end. So it's an actual process that you're going through. It's like, it's like living through something. And when it's done and actually published, put out to the public, 
um, for me, it's a big sign of, you know, it's great relief um, to get it out. Um, that's sort of what I sort of meant by looking back and if it makes a change, you know. Yeah, you know, that whole two weeks before the book is going to come out is is grueling. I'm going through it right now because I have another release coming out on Valentine's Day. Um, I, I have a, a book called Drawn and Quartered, which I'm writing with author Diana Only. And we, are e- we each have two stories in it. And, yeah, I'm going through that whole, oh, the 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 roller coaster of emotions at the moment, you know, I'm doubting my stories. I'm, I'm doubting the time that we have to get it all together. Our, 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 uh, editing our formatting. So, but, but when it, when it does, um, I know I'm going to have that relief as well. I have a story in there that is so relevant to what's going on in the world today, but it's, you know, it's done in a, horror fiction way so you know the the message is gonna people are gonna get a kick out of it i I think i i wonder now so when you um put together a story like like the one you're just talking about in the drawn and corded and even piece by piece or even abigail when you're doing that um do you have the subtext in your mind of what you hope people get out of it besides the story ahead of time or does it just happen naturally do you think yeah no it's it's all organic uh i might get a a little little glimmer of where to start a story or or something will pop into my head and then i'll sit down and i'll just start writing but i i i don't outline i don't know where my stories are going before i start them and i i am very i guess unconventional when it comes to writing um, for me, the story is it's going to be a surprise when I get to the ending, just as it is for the reader when they read it the first time. So I, you know, as it's going, it reveals itself. And if that feels right, like I get this sense of like, Oh, oh my God, I'm like all giddy and stuff. Like I can't wait to, my fingers aren't moving fast enough to keep up with my brain. Um, but I don't generally plan it beforehand or outline it i do however have a massive book that's five hundred thousand words it says it's bigger than stephen king's the stand um which i i wrote in during quarantine when i was in the halfway house in six month period of time um that i'm redrafting and that one i actually kind of would sit down and format about six scenes in my head as thinking what would be the natural chronological order of things to happen. And then I would go about, write those scenes, come back, think about the next six scenes, then go back and write them. So that was the only time like I actually put any thought into what I was doing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm wondering too, you know, uh, in the course of your writing, has a character ever done anything that surprised you? Uh, character gone off the rails, uh, done something that uh, was just completely unexpected? Yeah, and and actually, in that that large epic that I'm writing, pretty much every character has done that. So, <laughs> um, in a book that big, you know, you start dealing. I'm dealing actually with a whole town, so I have a town full of characters and a town full of characters' backstories and. Each one of their backstories is darker and more sadistic than the next. So, like, I was like, "Oh my mm. god!" Like, I, I appalled myself by the time I was done with the book. <laughs> Where do you get your characters from? Is this all from you, or is it you know? Is it times you go out and and you see people on the road, or in, in a shopping store, or on TV, or something, and that sort of influences you? It's from life, actually. So. Uh, it's, it's from the people I meet. I mean, uh, honestly, in Piece by Piece, the guy's Bobby Canfield, and and that's me. You know, I am Bobby in Piece by Piece. Bob Sr. is my father. Um, April was my mom. So uh, I wrote that from my own family experiences. Um, there's so much in that book that's actually out of my life. Abigail? Um, Adrian and and Gabriel are 
are <laughs> Jack and Will from Will and Grace. Uh, they're, they are my <laughs> the characters that I saw when, when I wrote that. In my larger novel, which may be coming out in chapbooks that I might do, one a month in the coming year to come, uh, there's, a, there's a sheriff who's based on a man I knew in prison, um, Captain Anthony Lorraine, who was a, a hero in Vietnam who saved his entire platoon um, and came back and was definitely traumatized by what he had been through. And actually a lot of Carl's story is, is Anthony's. Uh, and there's a lot of characters in, in that story who, who are based on people I've met. In fact, my whole fourth grade class is in that story. Um, my first girlfriend, the new girl in class, who was the first girl to walk into class with boobs when no fourth grader had ever seen boobs in their life on a fourth grade girl. So we all lost our minds, you know. So um, there, there's all that, you know. My my teachers are in it, you know. I I do the courtesy of changing names, but you know, it's our imitating life. You know, that's what it is. If you ever, if you ever come across someone that's really mean or awful person um do you put them in, in I your do. book I and kill them. them off or make oh them my suffer God, I kill them right away well sometimes <laughs> i draw it out too but i like to get creative with how i i kill them too yeah there were definitely like all the mean kids in, in my class are are <laughs> they're dead now oh. <laughs> i i mean that in the in a nice way. But. So this is a really good therapy session as well, see? Totally is. You do get, you do get something good out of it. Um, so, so what's next? Kind of what's, what's your plans now from here? It sounds like you're sort of breaking the, uh, breaking the ice with these uh, books and you're kind of moving forward. Um, any kind of designs on what, where you want to see yourself in the next 10 years? Yeah. Um, and it even starts sooner than that. I mean, after Drawn and Quartered is released in February, I'm working with James G. Carlson uh, and his publishing company, Gloomhouse Publishing. We have a book coming out called Hacked in Two, where we each have a large story in that. My story is called Deacon, and Deacon is a story about an author trying to write a story that doesn't fit the style that he usually writes and him losing himself because of it. It gets very dark for Deacon. Actually, there's a character in the book, Damon Manx, who's writing the story. So <laughs> that um, I'm really excited about that, and James uh, has a really great contribution to this. So that's due out probably early spring. Um, I, 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 I have the large epic, which I'm considering releasing as chapbooks, possibly 10 chapbooks, one a month, uh, 100 pages apiece over the course of mm, about a year. Uh, I don't know when I'm going to start releasing that. And uh, I, I am tentative to say, but I am working with someone from New York uh, on pitching a non-fiction story about my life and my addiction and the road I took into prison and some of the infamous men that I made acquaintances with while I was there. And, and that is, I can't really say who I'm working with, but uh, I'm very excited about it. You could tell us, but you'd have to kill us. Well, okay. if I told you there'd be some very, very bad men after you who, who would do it for me. <laughs> Perfect. I always like a little entertainment. Absolutely. Well, you have your ear to the ground. Um, you know, horror was huge, especially, you know, in the 1980s and in the 90s before there was like this genre implosion that happened back then. And uh, But I, I wonder what you think of modern horror and modern indie horror. Do you, do you think that um, horror is making a comeback, that we're kind of having a resurgence of, of that of that genre? You know, I definitely see that happening right now. I, the indie market, you know, which I was kind of oblivious to, well, for years in, in prison, of course, because we're oblivious to everything that's going on. But um, now that I'm aware of it, I, I mean, I'm, I'm amazed.
amazed. You know, there there are some great writers out there. Like every every one I meet is better than the next. You know, you you've got Jeff Strand coming on this week. You know, mm-hmm. you've got some amazing authors in your pocket, um, and and I'm thrilled to be on the ticket. I'll tell you that. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I'm thrilled at that. And you know what? Um, I'm, I'm really I'll be too thrilled. I mean, it was Dean Koontz that bumped you from Monday to Tuesday. Was he the guy who did it? <laughs> yeah, I didn't want to tell oh. you, but <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't want you to make me feel bad. But, you know, he had to do Monday, and I was like, oh, well, sorry. Sorry, Damon, I have to bump you to Friday. Well, I guess he can do it. If, you know, I just, if you're going to get bumped by somebody, you might as well be Dean Koontz, right? Yeah, at least it's him. Yeah. So. Wow, that's awesome. Wow, that's a story I'm going to share with everyone. But uh, <laughs> well, at least at least he has your name in his mind. When I said, "Well, I have I have this Damon Manx guy booked," and it's like, "Well, that's the only day we can do it." Okay, I'll push him to Friday. I wonder then. if he wonder so, if he was uh, the guy who left that comment for me on the internet this morning. So. <laughs> oh no, he doesn't. It's not him. It's okay. not. Him. No. Uh, <laughs> I was going to go somewhere with that, and then I got sidetracked. But no, no, that's very cool. And you know what I'm really like? I, I love what, like, Jordan Peele is doing in the horror industry. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, those movies, you know, oh, my God, so, so good. Um, and I think he's breathing some fresh fresh air and new life into the horror industry. So, I, I you know, the whole movie industry is a little different now that – Everything just goes straight to streaming, but, you know, yeah, with yeah. that, and I'm digging, you know. I'm still digging what's going on with Stranger Things and The Expanse and these stories. You know, there, there's no shortage of things you can find streaming. So, yeah, I do see a new life being being um, rejuvenated into this industry. But for me, it never really ended because I've always been. It's, it's in your heart, you know. You're, you're either there or you're not, you know. Okay, so how do you like to interact with with your readers now or people like that? If you do, is it like uh, what social media is your favorite and what's your website? So my I have www.damonmanx.com. Uh, Damon, D-A-E-M-O-N. Manx, you all know how to spell that. Um, and also you could visit my publishing company, which is uh, www.lastvaults.com publishing.com and see what's going on there. Uh, I use Facebook, of course, um, for guys my age, you know, we're still kind of like, oh, Facebook is the easy one, but I have most of them. I've got (laughs) Instagram. I love to share my pictures and my reels with people on Instagram. And I have TikTok and I I tell dirty jokes on TikTok and I post my guitar videos and, and then I'll show a picture of my book and try to hawk my, my wares down your throat. And, uh, and I hate Twitter with a passion, but I, I mean, I just can't get it. Like I can't gain any ground with Twitter. And I think if somebody said, well, you know, Damon, you're doing it wrong. You've got to do it like this. This is, this is how you get people to appreciate you when you say something on Twitter, then, then I would probably change my tune. And be like, yeah, I love Twitter. It's it's awesome, but you know, it's the learning curve when you don't have it uh, and the skills to make it work for you. You walk around like me saying, "No, I hate it." You know, but uh, you know, yeah. everybody has their their lane again, and that's you know, my lane seems to be TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook. Whether I'm utilizing them to the best of their abilities, eh, that remains to be seen, but. Yeah, no, I mean, it's all good. It's all connecting, you know, and we'll put that up on the website as well so people can find you, you know, with one click in case they can't remember how to spell. Um, Wow. So how was the COVID thing um, with your writing? Do you find that? um, I would would imagine you've got pretty thick skin, but don't you? I mean, after being in in prison for a while and then um, coming out and then – I'd imagine COVID you handled pretty well, or? You know, when uh, I I was in a halfway house when COVID came to the U.S., uh, there was 277 guys living in like a warehouse dorm setting, and some guys were going out to go to work during the day, and I was actually going to college at the time, 
And on March 16th of 2020, they, they shut us down, but they shut us down too late because COVID was already in the building. So, you know, it spread spread like wildfire through it. And we all caught it and, and guys were dropping and, and it was really horrific. And, and I had, you know, I guess mild symptoms, you would say, uh, where I had just a, a headache that lasted like five weeks, which was crazy. They lost the smell and the sense of taste. Some other guys weren't as fortunate. Um, so, yeah, you know what? I mean, I I built this, you know, prison definitely will make you, it'll make you or break you, you know? Um, so I, I'd say I did develop a thick skin, but I don't think I ever lost my humanity or a sense of who I was because I've always been an emotive guy and I've always, you know, been in touch with with my feelings you know so despite you know i can put on the tough exterior and i can go you know i can go all day in the yard with you doing push-ups and pull-ups or whatever if we need to but um you know at the end of the day i'd rather you know i'd rather write a book or uh you know identify with somebody one-on-one than you know putting up a facade so Mm. Wow, interesting. Interesting conversation. We've uh, enjoyed having you here today. Now, now, everyone, the book you've got to go out and pick up is called Piece by Piece. And uh, his first book, Abigail, um, you need to buy these books. If you don't, don't, don't come back here. Um, our guest has been is the author of both, so that's Damon Manx. Thank you for being Thank here. Thank you for having me. It was, it was great to be here. Thank you. Thanks, Damon. Tired of wasting time trying to decide what to watch on your streaming service? Go to our website and look for the Martino Movie Reviews. To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.